Awesome. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you, worship team. We've been, we've been putting it all together, the plan for the next while anyway. And I'll just uh, kind of let you know a little bit. I had a great meeting with our youth uh, group this morning and, and a lot of parents. We had a wonderful conversation. And uh, I've been meeting with our, our worship musicians and, and leaders a little bit as well. And uh, we feel like we have a pretty good plan in place as God leads us and as God helps us uh, to carry on, to really sustain. And I think one of the best ways we can kind of honor the, the great work that Pastor Jake has done among us is to, uh, is to learn and to, to keep pressing forward. And so that's what we're going to do. And, and I'll tell you that um, I've been in conversations with our church board and... and uh, and the kind of the search for a new associate pastor is, has begun and is ongoing. Um, we're not looking to replace Pastor Jake. That's a tough shoes to fill. But um, we recognize that, that with a church, with the kind of life that ours has, that uh, we could have another person alongside uh, and a part of this team in days to come. So no timetable necessarily for that. Um, we recognize that, again, in a church like ours, not only do we need a person who loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and who has a, the skills and the gifts that can help lead in ministry, and has a sweet, strong call in the ministry, uh, but you, maybe uniquely in our context with a two-person staff and a church that really, uh, really loves to be with each other, we need somebody who we like, you know? Not only, not only do they got to be good, but we got to like them. So, um, so pray for your board, pray for me, and pray for whoever that person even might be as we, uh, as we move forward into these days. And I appreciate it so much. I'm going to let our kids be dismissed for Children's Church. I know a few of you are going to stay in for the service today and for communion. Kids, uh, every time on the first Sunday, if you ever want to come back and receive communion, you're always welcome. And that's true for just to let the parents know that that if you, your kids are in Children's Church, but you would want them to receive communion as we're going to do today, then uh, you can get them after Children's Church and bring them in, and uh, I'll break away from whatever I'm doing to go serve communion. Uh, starting a new series today, calling it, say it with me, Champion. It's Michael Phelps there. Anybody ever heard of him? Yeah. Uh, Olympic swimmer and gold medalist and We've been watching some of you, and I've caught maybe one or two races this week, the, uh, the trials for the United States team that will be headed to the Olympics at the end of this month. And uh, here they come. Going to be in London this year, beginning that last week in July and on into August. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking in these weeks and thinking as all this is going on, and also there's a, uh, an NBA champion that was recently crowned. There's a... Euro Cup champion about to be crowned any uh, hour here. There's Wimbledon champion that will be uh, named in uh, another week or so. So lots of champions going on right now. And it's gotten me thinking a little bit about, uh, especially as we move into the, uh, the Olympic season, what does it look like to be a champion for Jesus? What does it mean to really be a champion in terms of our relationship with Christ? What does it mean to kind of 
rise from the average or the mediocre or kind of the just getting by to become someone who is experiencing real victory in life and in our relationship with God. I, I, I get sucked into the Olympic emotion. I don't know about you guys, but when somebody like Michael Phelps or when one of these uh, people win a gold medal, I, I really don't care. You know, I'm, I'm proud to be an American, but I really don't care what country you're from. Um, when somebody wins a gold medal and uh, they stand up on that medal platform, I need two people to come and stand next to me at lower heights, please. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, they're the, they're the one that's at the top, right? I can get Lily and Katie right here. It'd be great. Um, but they're the one at the top. And, and for that moment, as their national anthem is being played, right? You remember this? And, and for that moment, for that event, at least for this season, to recognize that they are the best in the world, that they have reached the, the, the ultimate uh, expression of, of their sport, is an amazing thing for me to think about and, and to admire. What an amazing thought to just know for that moment it's, you're the champion. I, when I was a kid, my, my dad, one of my nicknames that my dad called me was champion or champ. And uh, I, I never really kind of thought too much about it, to be honest. And now that I have a son, I, it's, I, that one really hasn't stuck. I call him other things, you know, like T-bone, things that have a lot of meaning to them. Um, but, but champion or champ seems a little clunky to me. I, I just can't quite get it out. But I, I, I've been thinking about just my dad saying that to me over and over. Hey, champ. Hey, champion. Hey, champ. What maybe that was doing even as a young boy, as I was growing up, to, to begin to think in terms of, yeah, victory is is possible. A champion is simply a victor. It's the one who has battled through all the lower levels of competition, like the Olympians. You know, they start at the sectional and move to the regional and on to the national level to finally compete in the highest level in the Olympics anyway, that international level. And it's often the crowning achievement of an athlete's uh, career to win a championship. So good for the athletes, but what about us as followers of Jesus? Again, what does it mean to be a champion, a victor in terms of of who we're becoming as disciples of Christ? We know that for an athlete, it takes hard work, right? It takes devotion. You know, NBC, I know, will do a wonderful job of telling the story. And sometimes for those of us who really just like to watch the event, it's kind of a little bit frustrating when they break away to give like the the 15-minute narrative of how that person got there. But usually, by the end of the story, I'm like, tears are coming down my eyes, and I'm like, oh, man, you're my favorite. Go for it. And uh, so there's a story for every one of those Olympic athletes that has gotten them to where they are and where they're going. And so there's a story behind each one of them. None of us become champions for Jesus just by showing up. There's a story. There's a process. And I want to dig into that a little bit in these weeks to come. And I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 12. And if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, And and actually, we're going to spend the next three weeks. This may sound 
boring to some of you or it may sound very stimulating to others. We're going to spend the next three, work, three weeks on three verses. And uh, there is so much in these first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12 that we're going to spend these next three weeks just thinking about what the writer is saying in these verses. Um, because he's saying a lot. And not only are we going to spend some time here, but the kids are memorizing Bible verses as part of their summer missions program. And so I just thought it would be fun for us to memorize together Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, I didn't print out little cards for you. I thought I should do that, but then I thought they're responsible. They can figure that out. But Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. So I'm going to read it all for us today, and then we'll work for a couple of minutes on verse 1. All right, let's all stand together. Let me read this uh, passage in its entirety, and then we'll, uh, we'll work on verse 1 for a moment together. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded, I'll just read it for now, sorry. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All right. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Um, go back up to, chapter, to verse 1. Robin, can you put up there? All right, it's kind of long, and you're thinking to yourself right now, wow, that's a long three verses. I don't know if I'm going to handle that, but we're going to break it up, so, and you're going to be able to work on it, and we're going to do this, all right? So let's just start with verse one. It's the longest of them, and we're not going to dial it all in right now, but we're going to spend a few moments on this, all right? So let's let the Word of God get into our hearts a little bit. So let's just read this together. Ready? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Go back. Let's do it by chunks to that, first, to that second comma. All right? Here we go. Ready? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Go to black. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Bring it back up. I'm doing a cheat just in case. Next one. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Black. Let us throw off everything that hinders. I'm giving Robin a workout on the computer back there. Come back into the second screen if you can. And the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. All right, you ready to try it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but let's read it together one more time. Go to the, go to the very top, Robin. 
Close your eyes as much as possible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Amen. Amen. Keep working on it. Keep working on it. We'll get it. The chapter just before chapter 12 is perhaps the most famous chapter in the book of Hebrews for sure and perhaps in a lot of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, if you're unfamiliar, Hebrews chapter 11 is the, the hall of fame of faith, or the hall of faith, we might call it, where the writer to the book of Hebrew, or the writer to the Hebrew uh, congregation, and by the way, I'm calling this person the writer of Hebrews because no one knows for sure, we've got some good ideas, but no one knows for sure actually who wrote the book of Hebrews. So we just refer to this person as the writer of Hebrews. Uh, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 goes back from the very beginning and, and begins to think and, and talk and describe these people who throughout the Old Testament in particular have demonstrated faith in God. And by their demonstration of faith in God, have demonstrated the faithfulness of God to them. It's, it's been this amazing outpouring, this, this, just this, this list of, of people from Scripture who have, who have lived out their faith, who have, who have taken risks, who have stepped out of comfort zones, who have trusted and depended in God in amazing ways and have demonstrated themselves faithful and at the same time have demonstrated God faithful to them. So he comes to chapter 12 um, here in these first opening verses. And he begins with that word, therefore. And whenever you see the word, therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for. And so he starts it off by saying, therefore. And what he's wanting to do is connect everything that he has just said in chapter 11 with the words that he is getting ready to speak right here in the beginning of chapter 12. And so he says, listen to this great hall of fame, this tribute to all these people who have demonstrated such great faith. And now because of what we know about them, therefore, therefore, and what he goes on to say is essentially this, therefore, now it's your turn. Now it's our turn to follow the example and the model that has been set for us by these great heroes of the faith and to begin to now live into that same faith in the lives that we are leading here. Um, what, a, what, a, what an amazing thing. The, the image that he brings to mind, and this is what I really want to focus on for these moments this morning, this image that he brings to mind is, is this, this phrase, this, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of, of witnesses. Uh, the, the image really that it has in mind is like an Olympic arena. And uh, one of my favorite uh, events of the Olympics are the opening ceremonies or the closing ceremonies or the track and field where that arena is just stuffed with people. And uh, they're having just a, a wonderful time and the image, again, that he's bringing up here is this stadium packed with people cheering and supporting and encouraging 
and, and helping. And, uh, and, and he's saying to them essentially that as you run this race, Hebrew people, as you run this race, there is a cloud of witnesses. There is a, an arena packed with people that are cheering you on, that are encouraging you on, that are pressing you on, that are, that are helping you as you make your way through this journey of faith. He wants them to remember that by no means are they alone in this process. And as I begin to think about it, I begin to think that what he's really wanting them to sense is that they have a home field advantage. Now, I don't know if you know what a home field advantage is, but essentially that's when most of you maybe do. It's when you're playing in front of your own fans. And if you're, you're a, an athlete or you're a team, you're playing in your own home arena where all the people up in the fans, their faces are painted, you know, with the color of your country or your team. And all the flags that are waving and the banners that have been made are, are encouraging and cheering on your team. And when you do something good, a large cheer erupts. And when the other team does something good, they get booed or, you know, something like that. I mean, it's just a, this is a... A definite advantage. And if you look at sports, in particular athletics, a home field advantage is hugely significant. I think it can make all the difference between victory and loss. And he wants to tell them that you have a home field advantage. Wherever you go, you bring with you this cloud of witnesses. Now, the people of the Hebrew congregation there that he was writing with, most scholars think that this was a potentially even a small church that he was writing to. Just a small group of people. But, but by the context of the book, we learn from uh, the book that most likely this group of people was suffering some significant persecution. That they were under threats from a lot of different directions by the government, by the Jewish uh, religious leaders, by all these different folks who at that time, with the Christian faith being a fairly new phenomenon, we're thinking that, that it was nonsense and we're putting all sorts of pressure. This was in the days of Christians being executed, Christians being killed for their faith. This was not an easy time to be a Christian, not an easy time to be a believer. And the temptation, listen, the temptation would have been strong, would have been huge to just say, hey, it's really not that important. I mean, this faith is only a few years old. I mean, Jesus was a great guy, but... I mean, I'm not sure it's really worth it. The temptation would have been to say, let's just go back to our Jewish faith. Or let's just cash it all in and let's just be good citizens of the earthly kingdom. And what the writer of the Hebrews is saying, he's writing to them and saying, no, don't give in, don't go back, hold on, hold on. And the people must have been thinking that they were in anything but a home field advantage. They must have been feeling like this is enemy turf that we're on. And yet the writer says, Actually, no. Yes, by what you can see all around you, your earthly vision, yes, very difficult. The challenges are real. There is great temptation that people just in your vision are, are very difficult to deal with. But open up your spiritual eyes, it's as if he says to them. And beyond what you can see with your earthly vision, look to see this cloud of witnesses. This arena packed all around you with those who have gone before you in faith who are now cheering you on, setting an example for you. 
as well. This, this, this cloud of, of, of witnesses. What, what is it that he's talking about? This cloud of witness. He's talking again, as I just mentioned, this group of people who've gone before us in this journey of faith. People who, who have walked it before us. People who have done this. They've, they've been there, done that in terms of a relationship with Jesus. They've lived it out. They've, they've accomplished their, this task. They've finished their race. They've proven themselves to be faithful. They've finished their journey. They're experiencing eternity with God. They've, they've done it. And now these are the ones who are not only like witnesses in terms of they're watching us and they're seeing what we're doing and they're cheering for us, but they're mostly they're witnesses to us in the fact that they're showing us that what they did and what God did for them is also now possible for us. There are uh, no doubt people in chapter 11, the, the folks listed there in chapter 11 are at the forefront of the writer's mind. Moses did it. Noah did it. Isaac and Jacob, they did it. Uh, Enoch did it. Uh, Rahab did it. I mean, they, the, these figures from the Old Testament, they, they depended on the faithfulness of God. They expressed they express faith themselves. They finished their race. They did it. So can you. Not only do I think that he was thinking about the people in Hebrews chapter 11, he was thinking about others. He was thinking about the, the, the disciples, the apostles of Jesus. And I think I have some pictures here, Robin, that maybe you can show. He was thinking about those, those 12 who became 11, but the, the, those disciples who, who modeled what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And, and he wasn't thinking about it at this point necessarily, um, but, but I think in what he was saying, this cloud of witnesses, he would also include some of the early church fathers. And uh, this is just an artist's rendering of some of the early church fathers. Some of those men who in the early first and second century were, were meeting together and were thinking together and were giving shape to how we understand Scripture and were giving shape to how we live out as the body of Christ. And they were, many of them, giving themselves as martyrs, sacrificing their lives to faith. I, I, so, so you see the disciples are over there and, and the church fathers are over there. And, and then he, maybe he, he had in mind people like, um, I, go to the next screen, like Martin Luther. I don't know if you know who Martin Luther is, but he's this, this guy who started what's known as the Protestant Reformation and has given, given just great a breath of life to the church uh, and, 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 and helped the church to become more grounded in scripture and in faith. Uh, maybe he was thinking about another guy, the next guy I think is John Calvin, who also began to teach new things about grace to the people of God and the sovereignty and power and authority of God that we'd never grabbed hold of before. Maybe he's talking about John Wesley, who you hear me talk about from time to time. I think this is an especially distinguished picture of John, don't you? Um, yeah, he never got his hair cut because he was saving money to give it to the poor. True story. And um, this is John Wesley. And I, I kind of picture like Luther's over there in my arena and Calvin's over there somewhere. And Wesley's right up here, the apostles, the church fathers, these ones who have gone before me in the faith. These ones who have set the standard. These ones who have laid the foundation. These ones who have given their lives, many of them, burned at stakes, 
hung upside down on crosses, these types of sacrifices, who laid a foundation. And they see me come into the arena, and they see you come into the arena, and they see the struggles and the challenges, and they say, you can do it. You can do it. I believe in you. More than I believe in you, I believe in God who helped me to do it. And I did it. And you can do it. I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I just need to see somebody else do something before I do it. It's like you walk out there, you know, on that icy lake. You, you uh, test out that food, and then I'll try it, maybe, if you don't die. You know, these kinds of things. I, I kind of like to, this week at junior high camp, the uh, Sunday night, they had a, a, a night swim. I didn't get to stay the whole week, but I got to stay for the first couple of nights. They had a night swim, and uh, that water was not warm, and so I did not go in. But all of our junior hires went in, and they decided to play this game. And this game was, I, I thought it was impossible. There's, this game was this rope that goes across the pool. And I'm not kidding, it's probably at least 10 feet outside of the water, above the water. And there's this little dog, kind of this plastic dog, right, Max? It kind of hangs from it. And the game is to get your team together and figure out a way to work as a team to get all the way up there and flip that dog over the rope one time. And I mean, I, I'm not real creative, but I got a little bit going on, and I was looking at it and thinking, uh, junior hires, uh, 10 feet out, um, this isn't happening. We're going to be here a long time. And uh, so the first team gets in there, and I'm thinking, it's not going to happen. Why are we even doing this? And the team tried a few things, and they couldn't figure it out, and then suddenly Elijah and Max came up with a plan. And Elijah, you don't know, this guy has some powerful legs, evidently, because he went down low in the water. He put Max on his shoulders, standing, and at the perfect timing, I don't know if they could do it again, but at the perfect timing, Elijah pushed up with everything he had, and Max pushed up with everything he had, and Max shot into the air, shot into the air, hit that dog with ease, flipped it around. Winners, little round of applause for Max and Elijah. Now, it becomes even more impressive with this fact. There were three other teams, and they came into the water after Max and Elijah had knocked this dog over the wire, and not a single one of those teams were able to accomplish that feat. Which makes it all the more impressive to me. I, I don't know if in your, in your Christian journey you kind of look at, at maybe certain folks or you kind of look at just what it means to even be a follower of Jesus or you think about the standards that Scripture seems to be calling us to and then you kind of look back at your own life and you kind of say, that's a 10-foot rope over a pool with a dog hanging from it and there's no way I'm getting there. Kind of have this sense that I, I just can't be a champion I'm going to be a finisher. Well, there's nothing wrong with being a finisher, but let's be champions. And the reality is, is that just like 
Max and Elijah proved to me and to my eyes that it can be done. The heroes of the faith in chapter 11 and all these that I've talked about that are hanging out in my arena have proved to me and should prove to you that this life of victory, this life of being a champion for Jesus is possible. Who's in your arena? Who's in your arena? This week... uh, This week we celebrated Kyla's, what would have been Kyla's mom's 63rd birthday. She passed away uh, 22 years ago, I think it is. 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. From, she had cancer. So we celebrated that birthday this week. And uh, no doubt, Karen, Kyla's mom, is in Kyla's arena. Right? She's one who fought the good fight finished her race. I only knew her for about a year and a half, two years, but I like to think she's in my arena as well. I claim her. I was talking to Adrian. Adrian's not here today, but I was talking to Adrian last week, and he was telling me about it. It was his, it was his grandma. It's his grandma who just said, let's go to church. Let's go. And just formative, shaping in his life. Are, are there, is there anybody like that? In your life? Maybe for some of you, you'd say, you know what, I'm the first person that knows anything about the Christian faith in my family. But maybe others of you would say, yeah, there's a long line. No matter where you are in your journey, I think you could say, there's, there's been some people that I know about that have gone on, they finished the race, and they're in my arena. And they're cheering me on, and they're shouting out with their lives. They're shouting out to you with the life that they lived. God's faithful. This life is possible. You too can be a champion. Are you going to win the 100 meter uh, freestyle? Probably not. What about the 100 meter uh, run, Usain Bolt? I'm afraid he's got you beat. But can you be a champion for Jesus? Uh, Without a doubt. Without a doubt. The, The junior high speaker, Chris Archer, he's a youth pastor from Lompoc, he spoke the last night, and I wasn't there, but the teenagers told me that, that he basically finished his talk with one simple question, are, are you all in? Are you all in? And I, I'm not too concerned about the use of gambling terminology uh, to uh, <laughs> communicate messages to our, our junior hires. That aside, what a great, what a great message. I'm all in. Seriously, that's it, right? I'm all in. I was just questioning them. Are you all in? And, uh, and 201, I believe, our junior hires responded by saying, I'm all in. These heroes of the faith, John Wesley, John Calvin, Moses, Rahab, Karen, these are people who were all in. And, and the thing that, that is, I need you to know about them is that they did not have like this this um, kind of spiritual champion gene. God did not, when he created them, say, ooh, I'm going to put the spiritual champion gene in them. They are not genetically wired differently than any of us. They are the same, flesh and blood, flesh and bone. They're just us. And yet, by the grace of God, by their devotion and by their desire, their passion, they, they lived like champions. And so they call us to do the same. What's it going to take to be a champion? Well, 
that's number one, what we're saying today, and this is it for today, but it's going to take you knowing who's in your arena. And it's going to take you recognizing that um, though the territory looks hostile, though it would appear that we are on enemy turf, in reality, wherever you go, hear me now, wherever you are as a follower of Jesus, you have an, a home field advantage. We're going to take communion this morning, and, and I think this is perfectly appropriate. It's so fitting that we take communion because uh, most of the things that we've done here this morning in our worship service have been dramatically different than uh, what happened in worship services like in the first and second century, even in the 15th and 16th centuries. I mean, this is, they didn't have you know, worship choruses like we have in any way. And it was just different, a whole different expression. But you know what the, the, we're going to do today is the same as they did back then. We're going to take communion. And so one of the joys and the beauties of experiencing the table of the Lord, the Lord's Supper, is that we get to, in these moments, friends, we get to commune with the saints of all the ages. As we take the bread and the juice, we do so in the same fashion that John Calvin did and John Wesley did. We commune with the saints as we celebrate Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed for us. So we're going to, I'm going to invite the worship team to come and we're going to pass the elements to you this morning and so the ushers can come or the servers can come and meet me right over by the table. But as we serve these elements to you and as you receive them, I I just want you to be kind of thinking a little bit about um, what your response might be. Some of us just maybe need to say, as we're holding that bread and juice in our hands, we just need to say, thank you God for this cloud of witnesses that surrounds me that I now commune with as we commune with you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Some of you may need to take a very initial step and say, I had no idea that this kind of thing was happening, that this was possible. And, uh, and, and God, I, I just want to, even as I take these elements this morning, I want to join that, that, that journey. I want to be a part of this life in which there's an arena for me cheering me on. We practice an open communion table at our church, which means that if you're a follower of Jesus come and receive or receive as past you. If you're, if, even if you're one who's maybe not even quite yet a follower of Jesus, but you're very, you're very interested. We just kind of believe, this was John Wesley's idea that we've kind of gone along with, that, that even in the taking, the drinking, eating and drinking of communion, that might be the moment in which you fully give your heart to Jesus. And so we don't want to deny you from receiving those elements today. Some of you might just need to say, man, I'm hurting. I'm struggling in my walk with Jesus right now. I'm making decisions that I know aren't pleasing to him. I'm going in different directions. I'm compromising at certain levels. I'm I'm giving in to certain temptations that I know I shouldn't be. I need a boost. I need some encouragement. Anybody ever need some encouragement? I do. As you take and eat and drink today, would you be encouraged? Would you recognize that there's a host of witnesses, a cloud of people around you who have gone before you, who have done this, and who are saying, you can do it too. God is faithful. He'll be faithful to the end. Let's pray. God, thanks. 
this, uh, this call that you've placed on all of us, I believe, to, to move forward in our faith. Not to be stagnant, not to be just satisfied, not to be content with just mediocrity, with just uh, okay, with just, just making it through, but this, this invitation that you've called us each to live lives patterned after these amazing heroes of faith that were ultimately people just like us, but people who said, oh, God is faithful and I will be too. Because of your faithfulness, God, you call us to be people who trust in you, who, dependent on, who are dependent on you, who give our all, who are all in for you. And maybe there's some, again, that are challenged here, that are struggling, that just need some encouragement. They need to know that, that in this race you've called them to, there's this great cloud of witnesses. Maybe there's others who have been kind of thinking about some step of faith that you've been laying on their hearts, and, and they've been hesitating, but, but maybe, again, they just need to, they just need to hear from the, from the arena around them and from the very voice, your voice, oh God, saying, you can do it. It's been done. You can do it. Whatever the case may be, God, as we commune with you and celebrate the gift of your son, Jesus, and his broken body and shed blood, and in so doing, as we commune, as we join in fellowship with the saints of all the ages, God, may we be encouraged, may we be challenged, may we be even transformed in these moments. For all those things, God. We give you thanks. We give you thanks.